Welcome everybody to the new podcast, The Sweatbox. Uh, this is a new MMA podcast that we're going to be discussing just all types of MMA, UFC, some Bellator, and some jiu-jitsu wrestling tournaments and everything like that. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you, but first we're going to introduce everybody. I'm Massey. Um, basically, uh, I've been hosting a couple podcasts. I host another podcast called uh, Game of Inches, go over a, a variety of sports, and we're starting this one as well. I'm also sitting here with my boy Dario. Dario, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, y'all. Uh, my name is Dario, the dude Castillo. I am a amateur MMA fighter and a blue belt under Lucero Jiu-Jitsu, uh, aspiring MMA fighter, just uh, making my climb one day at a time the future of the ufc <laughs> future middleweight and welterweight baby there you go <laughs> and we're also here with jamin jamin you want to introduce yourself yeah definitely i'm jamin allen i'm here just an mma enthusiast i love the ufc i love bjj i actually train in bjj and uh yeah i'm just i'm excited to talk fighting and we also have another host, uh, Randy, who's not able to make it for this, this start, the start of the show, but he will be on the next few episodes and continuing. So we, we're going to miss him today, but uh, hopefully we can get him uh, on for you guys in the next one. But uh, for this show, what we're going to do is we're going to basically review the UFC fight night that happened this last weekend, Whitaker versus Till, and then we're going to preview some fights from the upcoming fight night, Brunson versus Shabazian. So let's get into uh, UFC fight night from Whitaker versus Till and the first one I want to talk about and it's the only one on the undercard that I'm really picking out is because I'm a huge fan of Mavzar, uh, Mavzar Iolev and I think he's going to be a star in the UFC so I kind of want to um, pick out his fight versus Mike Grundy who was another uh, guy who's seen as maybe a contender in the future uh, both had great records Mazvar was 12 and 0 Mike Grundy was 12 and 1 coming into this fight uh, Mazvar takes it by unanimous decision uh, what do you guys think about this fight bro wh- what what I thought was super dope about Mazvar is the fact that he didn't just showcase his wrestling like yeah sure he he did get taken down a couple times whenever Grundy first started initiating the takedowns, but he did such a good job of out clinching him, uh, pressuring him against the cage to where he couldn't really get much leverage and just teeing off with like uh, those Nate Diaz style shots, but just so sharp and crisp. They weren't just pepper shots, like because of the fact of how, how crisp his angles were, they it had so much behind uh, power behind it with such little effort. Like by the time the three rounds were done, it almost seemed like he just Barely started breaking a sweat, honestly. Yeah, and he wasn't even telegraphing. It was just like a straight punch, straight from where, where his hand was. He wasn't like cocking back or anything. It was just a nice, clean, crisp punch. Right. And yeah, we got to go ahead. We got to get these Russian guys investigated for something because they, they just have, they have endless stamina. And it, wouldn't, it would behoove me to see that these Russians have found a way to get some imperceptible PED. Um, <laughs> you know, in this, in their system, because this guy was taken down six times and he scrambled up and he's not even breathing heavy. You see his chest, you see his stomach and he's, he's breathing normal and he's just an assassin walking forward and still throwing his shots. It was, it was really impressive. Dude, absolutely. And, you know, it could be one of those things of, you know, hard, hard environments, bring about hard people, you know, and they just have this, uh, you know, endless, you know, diehard will, or, you know, Honestly, whenever I go to watch that, like 
that they expertly shift their momentum. Every time Grundy went to go get the takedown, he, his uh, driving pressure was always forward. And so it, 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 Ivalov made it seem so effortless because he was just kind of going with the pressure that he was already given and using it to help him get back up to his feet, just kind of rolling with it. And it, it's just expertly done because of the fact that he was never truly pinned up against the cage. He, he moved around the cage, you know, exactly how he needed to and it's just the dude looked flawless you know even being taken down there was very little to any damage really put into him and he was never really in any seriously bad situations like yeah i saw i saw you know in uh round one i thought he was in some serious trouble he it looked like he he was in a fully locked dars and he uh, he he scrambled out of it like I've never I've never seen before. So it looked yeah. like he was he it looked like he was three seconds away from nap time. I looked in the stands, I saw Nyquil clapping. Dude, and, uh, they, were, like, they, they were calling this dude's name, and he literally uh, induced a scramble like I've never seen. It was super impressive. I thought he was going out. Well, I wanted to talk about that too because before that he got he was he was being held down. He got taken down. He was being held down, and he did some kind of move that I don't even know what you do. Basically, he like flipped. Mike Grundy over him, like, yeah. and 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 everybody was like, but "What was that? How? Did, how?" Even the announcer was like, "I don't even know what to call that. I don't know how he got out, how he did that, and got out of it." And everybody was so surprised about how he got out of it. And then a little bit later, he gets taken down again, and he gets caught in that darts choke, and his his legs trap between Grundy's legs. It looks like he has nowhere to go, and he's about to go to sleep. Like I started to fall asleep just from watching that, <laughs> and and this. And then all of a sudden, he tw- kicks his legs out and twists in a way, and he- he's free, and he's up, and he's not even breathing hard. Like, you're just getting right. unconscious, and you're not even breathing hard. How is that possible? Right. right. Well, it's, it's, like I said, it's just that, that familiarity with those tough uh, positions. Like, whenever I seen him start to catch that, the very first thing that I looked at is what Jamin pointed out. He had his leg caught in between. You know, he was stuck in that half guard, but – the, the secondary thing to the point that I made earlier, he was never completely pinched up against the cage. He yeah. had more than enough room for right. him to, a snake move, get his foot on the hip. And from there, he didn't even need to fight the hands. It's all just twisting against and going with the direction of the choke to roll out. Yeah, but, and he never panicked. And that, that was the big thing. And Absolutely. I think the most impressive thing about him and I know we're going long about him, but uh, I'm, I've been super depressed with him, is that his previous fights, he's just dom- he's dominated the other fighters with his wrestling. And he went in against Mike Grundy, who's a very, very good wrestler and a very good submission artist. And I think he realized that, hey, our, our wrestling is going to be neutralized, which it was in the whole right. fight. Like he, I, and I think he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outstrike this guy and I'm going to win by beating this guy up. And Mike Grundy went with the whole, hey, I'm going to have to wrestle. You know, yeah. and it, it basically was neutralized because they're both great wrestlers. And I was really impressed by Mavzar, his ability to say, hey, our, the wrestling is going to be neutralized in here because we're both great. I'm just going to be, I got to beat this guy a different way. Most stuff. And speaking of Russians, man, we got Jamin's boy. Uh, I'm. You will learn as you listen to the show that with these people's crazy names, I'm really bad at pronouncing names. So I do apologize if I get these names wrong, but I'm going to say, uh, Hamzat, you guys just said it earlier. Chimaev, 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 Hamzat Chimaev versus Reese McGee. And I don't, this wasn't even really a fight. Uh, I just call him Chim. He hit, 
he hit McGee 68 times and McGee didn't hit him once. And it was just complete domination. And this was 11 days after uh, Chim had won his previous fight. Just 11 days later, he takes out McKee in complete dominating fashion. What did you guys think about this one? Yeah, you know, bell, bell rings. Uh, he goes over, does the perfunctory glove touch. Uh, he fakes an overhand right, goes in for the body lock. He literally lifts McGee up, walks across the cage, and puts him down like a baby in a crib. You know, then he proceeds to threaten chokes and pound him into an oblivion. I thought it was, it, it was just phenomenal. I, I mean, as you're watching it, you're like, okay, is McGee this bad? Or is Chimaev this good? You know, that, that you, you got to ask yourself that question. I thought it was just a tremendous, tremendous performance. And I think it was a 10-day turnaround. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was just – it was, it was a absolute and utter domination. And as I'm watching this guy, I can't help but to see the Khabib comparisons. I mean, <laughs> uh, the ground and pound style, he, he threw him up on the cage, the relentless pressure, the judo trips – the Dagestani handcuff on the ground and then looking for, for submissions and looking for that, that ground and pound. I think, I think welterweights are going to need to watch out for this guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Dario. Oh, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, there's not, me. there's, I was just going to say, there's, there's not really much to say um, about this because it was so short. Both of his fights have been in the first round. He's only fought twice in the UFC. Both of them have been really short in the first round he's an undefeated fighter like Mazvar. my question is is we didn't really talk about this for Mazvar, but i want to go back and touch on that and then also this is who's next for each of these guys i yeah i, I like uh as far as for chimaev i really like his call out for damian maya i think uh maya has has a lot of experience i i do th- see how it's kind of a uh uh, scapegoat out because we have seen Maya uh, fold under pressure before. You know he's he's been fighting a long time, long time veteran, veteran, and a long time uh, uh, combat uh, sports competitor. You know multiple uh, world championships in jujitsu, but uh, to really get his ground tested against somebody who is just as savvy and somebody who has nothing to lose. I mean at this point, Maya's already. Uh, you know, cemented his legacy as far as who he is as as a athlete. Right, you right. know, and everybody already sees him as, hey man, you're on your way out. This guy's, you know, trying to come in with some steam, bro. If if you know Maya were to put the hands on him and get him locked up and everything like that, who that would be insane. You know, and we've seen uh, jujitsu guys as of recent really utilize elbows from the from the bottom. I mean, you look at. Uh, Another fight that was on this card, Carla Esparza, she got tore up whenever she was out wrestling uh, Rodriguez and, you know, using that same style of, okay, beat him up with elbows from the bottom. You know, you're, you're already down here. And so uh, to see uh, Chimaev fight a uh, jiu-jitsu background where they don't mind being on their back with his, you know, uh, Dagestani uh, ways that others like Mozart have been taking on, I, th- I think that's an interesting fight as well as a potential fight against Cowboy. But as far as Mozart goes, I mean – there's so many people. Uh, that's uh, featherweight, correct? Or is that like? Yeah, he's he's a, he's a feather. 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 Uh, for that, I could possibly see. Hmm. I'm gonna give have him, to think on that give, one a little bit. Longer. Give him Dan Inge. Give him Dan Inge. I was thinking Dan Inge or maybe a Ryan Hall. I think those would just get him a 
a ranked opponent, you know, just right outside the top 10. I mean, Dan Inge is 10, but Ryan Hall's 13 in the rankings. So I think those would be a, a good range for him to step up in competition. Um, for my thinking, as far as uh, Chimaev is, I think Damian Maya, he's ranked seventh right now in the UFC rankings. I think that might be a little bit big of a jump. Um, I'm not saying he can't do it, but um, that's a, that's a big jump to go up in competition. Maybe, you know, give him um, a Jeff Neal or a sure. Vicente Luque, who we'll talk about if he wins his fight uh, uh, this coming up weekend. Um, then maybe one of those fights. Um, Maya would be a great fight, but that's a, that's a big jump up in competition going from two relatively Definitely. unknown yeah. guys to Damian Maya, who's ranked number seven and is, is a savvy veteran. So, but hey, if he can do it, that's that's he'll be shooting up the the rankings like crazy. You know who just popped into my head for Ilovev Mozarv? Who is that? Brian Ortega. That's a huge jump. <laughs> that, that, that no, is. but I mean stylistically. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, what Brian a mix-up yeah. that would be. That that because, would be. I mean, the last fight that we've seen Ortega in was against Holloway. And, I mean, yeah. Ho- Holloway beat the bricks off of him with his boxing. Not to say that Ortega's got bad boxing, but it's just it's not Holloway boxing. But Holloway's jab is like world class, even mm-hmm. even as far as a boxing standard. Now, I'm not trying to make an argument for him to take up a boxing fight. I'm just saying that as far as MMA fighters across the board, he's got one of the best jabs in the game. And so for Mozart to face up against a guy who is as creative as Ortega and can give him looks from every, you know, uh, stand on the board, I I think stylistically that would be interesting. But if he had to deal with a guy like Zabit, I I think he would be in for a rough night. Yeah, or um, uh, Korean Zombie. I mean, there's a lot of of fights. There's a lot of fights there. I think he, he's in a he's in a pretty tough division, and so as you as you get to these upper guys, there's a lot of a lot of good guys. I think what what Joe's been convincing me of is that he's definitely going to be a contender, though. Like I, I oh, see well, him being sure. a contender. Yeah, I think he's going to keep getting better. Like I, I just I just think I think he has to grow more. He has to re, uh, refine his game, but I, I like the potential that I'm seeing because he he just looks great right now. Right. Oh, stuff. Dario, you can go down and fight him. <laughs> hey, I mean, you might have to chop off a, a calf or something like that, but hey, we'll, we'll get it down. <laughs> Shave off the hair. Just go completely hairless like a naked mole rat in there. Bro, I'd be so <laughs> slick. I'd be sliding all over the place. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, <laughs> so the next fight we're going to talk about is the Alex Oliveira versus the Peter Sabata. And this this fight was interesting to me. Um, give me let me let me know your guys' thoughts on this one. I, I thought Oliveira is that how you say his name? Oliveira. I, I just say yeah, yeah Oliveira. Okay, yeah, I, I thought he's he's clearly uh, outclassed him on the feet. I think he he had his full arsenal working. Um, I think it was in the second, if I remember correctly, Sabata shot in for a takedown because he was he was just being tagged up, and then you know to be rewarded with that. He, he went for the takedown and he ate a bunch of elbows. And so, um, yeah, I think it was 30, 27 across the board. And I thought, I thought, uh, I, yeah, I, I just thought it was, it was domination on the feet, to be honest. I completely agree. Uh, both. I, I'm, I mean, 
he is related to Charles Oliveira, isn't he? Aren't they brothers? I do not Alex know, actually. Him? Yeah, that's uh, a good question. Because I'm pretty sure uh, that fight was at featherweight, wasn't it? And I'm pretty sure Charles is at welter, I want to say. But anywho, both guys, they're, they're the epitome of what you want to see from an MMA fighter. They, they can mix it up standing. They have an awesome array of not just punches, but their punches blending in the elbows, spinning attacks, leg kicks. I mean, those shots to the body, his body kicks. Ripping those things, yeah. Whoo! Chopping down trees. Like, those guys are no joke. And then, as again, another example of jujitsu fighters finally starting to work in those elbows that are so vicious from the bottom, especially whenever you have a high pressure wrestler, they're constantly driving their head over. You, it gives them perfect leverage to sweep in those elbows. I mean, it was, it was a flawless performance. Right now, what fighters are trying to look for is not only just showcasing that uh, they can be exciting, especially without having the fans there. Like the, the performance of the fighter sticks out that much more because there isn't any outside influence of booing or this or that. So I find it a lot more enjoyable being able to watch the fighters just be able to uh, completely display their, their skills and how they express themselves without anything else tainted. And these guys absolutely shined. The way he dominated was just, it was flawless. Perfect performance for him. I agree. I think yeah. it definitely puts him in the the conversation of top fifteen. Start looking for a top ten guy and see where he goes from here. Yeah, I was in, I was super impressed with his front kicks. Like you could see that uh, Sabata's body was just red from multiple front kicks. I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody use front kicks that effectively so many times like i've seen obviously we've all seen front kicks used but i don't know if we've ever seen it used usually it's like a get back you know right but uh, he was using it as a weapon and he was destroying sabata's body with that and i think it really gave sabata pause where he didn't know what to do and he was hesitant and you could see at the very end it's it's the third round Right. And Sabata knows he's down. He's down two rounds to nothing. He's got to know it. And he's got to know he has to do something. But he was still so tentative to go in. And in the last 10 seconds, they gave that warning. They clapped those things together and they said, hey, 10 seconds. And neither fighter engaged at all. And Sabata didn't even try to engage in the last 10 seconds. He just kind of fainted around like he was going to throw up something, but he never did. And I think he was just hesitant. He didn't want to keep getting kicked in the body. And it, it was. It was it was a great strategy by Oliveira, and I think he's, he he re- recognized it in the first, like, hey, this is open, and he exploited it throughout the entire fight. So I, I thought it was really impressive. Hundred percent, you know, and that's that's just one of those things in which, at that level, the smallest hole in the game in your game can be absolutely the the absolute downfall of you. You know, these guys are are the highest level, and. You know, the, the way that, like you were saying, that front kick to the body, it's one of those things that's so deceptive because it's, it stems from so low and it doesn't really take a whole lot of, of uh, torque in order to really inflict damage with that. It's got a long range. And whenever you get hit with something like that, it knocks the wind out of you. It, it starts making you feel really worn down and you're constantly stuck right outside of that punching range because you feel so slow. You're constantly getting tagged by that body shot. And it's just like, if I step in, you almost feel like you have nothing. It's beautifully done. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. 
Uh, so the next fight was a rather quick fight. Uh, you have uh, Paul Craig versus, I'm going to butcher this name, Gadzimarad Antigulov. And right. uh, Paul Craig uh, wins by triangle choke in the first round. Um, basically, Antigulov took him to the ground and tried to do ground and pound. And I was surprised because Paul Craig immediately went for the triangle choke, which he's known for. Like he, that's that's his move. I think he has like three. five or he has three. I thought he I thought they said five. Uh, five submissions, but three triangles. Okay, yeah, okay, right. there it was. But he has so he has three uh, submissions um, by triangle, and like he immediately went for it. And the weird thing was, is Antigulov didn't even try to like move around and escape. He just tried to double down on his striking and ground and pound, and basically allowed Paul Craig to sink it in and get it deep, and then he tapped out. So that was really interesting to me. I don't know why Antigulov decided, hey, I'm not even going to try to get out of this. I'm just going to try to knock him out instead, and it backfired, and he got he got he got submitted. Yeah, I think, you know, the old adage, uh, how's it go? Angles make strangles, I think he said. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he uh, immediately came forward with a, a one-two. Uh, Antigulov landed a nice nice shot and then, and then got a takedown. You know, then Craig immediately went for that guillotine. And I, I, I see a lot of fighters doing that on a, on a takedown attempt as they try to get the guillotine. And it rarely works. Um, so it, it didn't work there. He gave it up and uh, he ate some shots off his back. And uh, he wasn't worrying about the punches. The guy's trying to rain down punches. And like, like Joe said, he was, he was working that triangle, working those angles, um, sunk it in deep and, and got the tap. I think, you know, triangles, triangles are still somewhat of a, a rarity in the UFC, at least for me, that I've seen. So whenever I see one, I'm like, oh, wow, this guy just got triangled. I think um, I was shocked when I saw Ferguson do that to Kevin Lee. It's like, man, right. who, gets, who gets triangled anymore, you know? But uh, yeah, yeah they're, think, they're, they're rarer than they used to be. Right. And I, not to cut you off, Jamin, uh, I think to, uh, to Paul Craig's credit, like, uh, he, he did a beautiful job amidst the, the ground and pound of really controlling Antigulov's, uh, having that risk control. Because I mean, with that, uh, the, the primary thing that you need first and foremost is, uh, isolation of the limbs in order to be able to really attack that one side and lock in the triangle. And whenever you look at the legs on Paul Craig, dude, that guy, he's, he's, he's like a, a walking spider, like a human <laughs> spider. His limbs are so long. And whenever you're dealing with a guy like that, like, uh, for instance, like me, I'm, I'm, somewhat thick in the shoulders so whenever most people go to throw up triangles like usually i'm able to you know kind of just base down and you know just really work my posture and look to just force force your way out of it so you know uh if if you don't have people who can give you those bright looks and have that that leverage and that length to be able to sink in these crazy chokes from all these different positions that normally on a shorter guy you might be able to just flex your way out of like it's just a different beast entirely and so like Paul Craig, he's, he's making a staple for himself as being this, uh, slick submission artist. And I'm, it just makes me excited as far as, uh, how much further he's going to go. He still has a, a lot of room to climb and, uh, he's got that dog in him, you know, he, he just has no quit. Like, like Jamin said, even after eating that, uh, that, uh, hard right and then being taken down, still being able to stay calm, focused and, uh, weather that storm and, sink it in in fantastic fashion yeah 
Yeah, that was that was impressive. I think, like you said, he's he, he's getting that reputation for a submission artist, very slick off his back. I think he's only a brown belt in jujitsu, but he he acts like a a savvy black belt in my opinion. So, absolutely. Yeah, and, and recently crowned brown belt hasn't been a brown belt for long, so it's it's interesting to see uh, uh, his development and where it's going to go. Because there's a lot of guys who who start to build a reputation as a grappler, and then they switch it up and just uh, completely stay striking because everybody becomes worried about that. I mean, you look at Aldo for the longest time; it was like, man, did this guy was he once a professional soccer player? Because damn, those leg kicks! And yeah. then after a while, he just stops doing them. You know? Yeah, dude. Oh, I remember that Aldo going back and uh, the way he destroyed uh, Uriah Faber's leg with those leg kicks, man. Oh, it was disgusting, man. But uh, okay, so the next fight on the card was the controversial decision. Um, we had Carla Esperanza versus uh, Maria uh, Rodriguez. And Esperanza won by split decision. And when I was looking, well, I went back and I watched this fight again. I watched it twice just to make sure. And because I, on first watching, I thought Rodriguez won. I thought she should have won. And when I watched it a second time, I agreed with my original assessment. And I said, all right, I think Rodriguez won that fight. And basically, it came down to Esperanza put her on the ground and controlled her. She had top control almost the entire fight, which is, I think, what might have swayed some of the judges. But she also but she got destroyed. Rodriguez was, in the first round especially, destroying her from the bottom. Right. I mean, with with vicious, nasty elbows, like Dario was mentioning earlier. Like she, from the bottom, she threw an elbow and just sliced her eye open. And uh, in the second round, she was doing the same thing. And at the at the very end of the second round, she just uh, Esperanza went for an ankle lock, and uh, Rodriguez just teed off on her. So I think the decision should have went to Rodriguez. They gave it to Esperanza by a split decision. What were your guys' thoughts on this? Yeah, it was it was iffy. It was iffy for me. I think, like you said, they gave it to Esperanza. It was it was close. I'd say they gave it to her because she, you know, from the jump. I think it was a you know in the first round, shot in for her to take down immediately, got her down, and and stayed there for nearly uh, four minutes in the first round. That's going to sway a lot of judges. She stayed kind of in control. Then she fell back trying to get that heel hook, and it allowed it allowed Rodriguez to to get on top. And but like you said, Rodriguez, even though she was on the bottom, she was attacking off the bottom you know this was a very ferguson type of a fight where she was comfortable being on the bottom and she was throwing those elbows and, and cutting her up her face looked na- uh, esperanza's face looked nasty so um yeah you know I, I i i would say i can't fault the judges in giving it to esperanza only because uh well i think she secured what five five or six takedowns yeah and, yeah something uh, like that yeah, and she she controlled her pretty good. Uh, I think one judge had it thirty twenty seven, which I thought was ridiculous. But, uh, I, but that, 20, I agree, I agree. Yeah. That, was, that was crazy. But a, a twenty eight twenty nine, I could see it going either way. I'm not I'm not mad at it. But yeah, I thought I thought uh, just based on the damage, like look at damage, and it was right. it, it, it was pretty clear that that Esperanza was getting messed up down there. So for what sure, do you think, Daria. Um, uh, like uh, like both of y'all said, you know. Um, it's mixed martial arts. You, you got to be uh, showcasing dominance in, in every area. I mean, granted standing, there were quite a few moments in which Esparza was uh, backing up. You know, she was, she was having to really use the ring in order to 
redirect the fight and make her moment for whenever she could take her down. Uh, her takedowns were solid. Um, that uh, ankle lock was definitely a submission attempt that stands out, but uh, much to the same as what y'all have pointed out, like uh, it's all a matter of what you do with it. You know, you can have the clinch control, but if you're the one who's getting your body tore up or, you know, who's getting the damage side of it, it, it kind of doesn't matter. You're, in my opinion, I feel like the control is kind of moot, a moot point at that time. But uh, it, it, that's where you just you can't leave it in the judge's hands. You know, um, what I really liked about the old school days of pride is that, yeah, sure, they would do a point by or a round by round point basis, but they would also look at, okay, if this was a street fight and it's the end of the fight, really the winner of the fight is whoever was doing the best at the end. It doesn't matter how good you're doing in the beginning. You know, wh what have you done for me lately as the old boxing to, uh, phrase goes? And so, you know, uh, much to Jamin's point, I could see the fight going either way. I did feel like Rodriguez had uh, the, the upper hand of the majority of the exchanges. She might not have had the best position, but I feel like her work, uh, the amount of output she she did, uh, she definitely had the most returns on in uh, in comparison to Esparza. But it was I, – I enjoyed the fight. I oh, know yeah. a lot of people were saying that uh, they thought it was a little bit of a snore fest because of the constant grappling, but – I it's it's one of those things in which you know you, you won't please everybody you know yeah some people just want stand up strike fest knockouts and i love i love the grappling aspect i love the the, the sprawls and just uh figuring out the strategy of on the ground and fighting on the ground i i, I enjoy that stuff and i know right. i know you guys do too uh doing Definitely. Jiu -jitsu. uh Definitely. but that, that just raises a question i want to get into real quick on this this the decision and you, you both mentioned, don't leave it up to the judges. We all know that. Don't leave it up to the judges. And there, there's been some complaints about judges, of course. You're always going to have controversial decisions that come out. Um, Dario, you mentioned one solution that people have is grade it on an entire fight. Like, don't grade round by round. Grade it on an entire fight. That's one solution that people said. I prefer the round by round, but that's not a terrible one. Right. And then, and then another thing is, is that uh, Joe Rogan actually mentioned this, and I, I actually like this one, is I think they should announce the judges' scorecards after every round. Like they just yes. put it up. So the fighters actually know. So the fighter, it's not a guessing game anymore. This fighter knows like, hey, oh, wow. I thought I was doing better, but the judges actually have me down two rounds. I have to finish this dude. And Absolutely. I think that would make it a more exciting fight. And I, I completely agree with you, Joe Rogan. I think that's how they should do it. I think these judges should be held accountable on a round-by-round -round basis, and the fighters should know, like, hey, I'm down. Okay, right. I need and, to do and what, and what's the downside of that? Like, why don't they do it? Like, I, I see no downside to that. No, it, let it like being exceedingly conspicuous. Everyone knows exactly where you are, exactly where you stand. You know, uh, you, you think about Holloway and Volkanovsky, right? Mm -hmm. So just just knowing like, like okay, uh, everybody in the whole world thought I'm up, but I'm actually down. So let me let me let me go into this fifth round and, and throw everything I got instead of being a little bit more conservative, you know? Completely. Right. And I, I don't know a downside. I, I, I don't know a downside at all. Because if you would have gone to that fight and then if – um, Rodriguez would have known, like, wow, one judge has me down two rounds to nothing. Like, I thought I would have at least won a round. Like, 
Like, I'm sure she didn't think she was down two rounds to nothing in any of the judges' eyes. You know what I mean? Right. So that would have... I didn't think she was. Not neither did I. So I think that might have changed her strategy, you know? Absolutely. So I mean, imagine if you were watching a football game that had no 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 <laughs> points scored. <laughs> like, I... Nobody knows I, the score, yeah. Yeah, I, I've... There hasn't been a single moment in any game that I've ever played where it's been close and I didn't feel like, Oh, no big deal. Like if I know it's close or if I know that, Hey, we're, we're going in the second half and we're down by, you know, uh, 14 points or whatever, like, all right, we're, we're coming to kick some ass. Like we're, we're bringing it, you know? And so all, like you said, all it's going to do is bring about better fights. The downside that the commission sees is that they would have to reformulate how they, uh, how they uh, verify that somebody is qualified to be a judge because a lot of these guys are being pulled right over to from boxing because of the fact that they're already boxing uh, regulated judges. And so it's just more so of like they're uh, already stocking up the roster with people they've already hired from other organizations that aren't even truly fit to be in that position you know and so it's just one of those things that needs to be rectified but it's it's a political aspect behind it oh yeah i didn't know that um so yeah they need to that's not a big enough downside in my opinion so they need to go <laughs> no, i agree yeah okay so let's move on to the next fight and that's uh fabricio verdum versus alexander gustafson and Bro. basically i gustafson moved uh, moved up and made his heavyweight debut um, he looked good, you know, he looked like he probably should have, I mean, like physically not in the fight, but like he looked physically fit. So it, maybe he should have been there the whole time. I don't know. But basically I said it going into the fight that if Gustafsson wants to have a chance, he has, he has got to keep it on his feet. He cannot go to the ground at all with Verdum and Verdum immediately took him down and immediately submitted him. And uh. It was, it was boom that quickly. Like it was, he chased him down. Literally he, Gustafsson turned his back and ran and, and he chased him down, got him, crawled over easily past his guard to him. So what were your guys' thoughts on this? Yeah, it was, it was a good, it was a good showing for Verdum. Um, but um, Gustafsson, he, he, he showed a, a good, some, a little uh, good body work. He hit him with some, some uh, body jabs. Uh, then he hit him with a, a overhand right, but he just got attacked and single legged uh, immediately. Got taken down. Uh, uh, Gustafsson kind of had him in a a half guard, I guess, even though he was <laughs> laid flat on his back. And mm-hmm. um, you know he tried to stand up. He tried to scramble and stand up, and uh, he got his back taken. And what I found was interesting is, you know, this has happened to me before. You, you get your back taken, and then they immediately you you think I got to protect this neck. Like they're gonna they're gonna go for this rear naked choke, and he immediately switches to an armbar. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes right. it could just it could be so quick and so slick. You're like, oh man, like I was worried about my neck, and now my arms almost extended. And you know, he I think he did the right thing, trying to roll and, and turn, and and then he he switched it up into a belly down armbar, and right. um, you know then flipped him back over, got the traditional armbar, separated the hands, and he got the tap pretty pretty quickly. So I thought it was just masterful. And like you said, he couldn't let it go to the ground. He did, and it was it was just cancel Christmas. And uh, abs- absolutely to what what I found super interesting about this fight is that Gustafson he he looked super comfortable out there, 
I feel like he was in the right headspace, but I f- just feel like because um, Wardoom hasn't been the most active as of lately, he was just kind of sleeping on him, thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to outbox this guy for sure. I'm going to have range on him, you know, uh, and – you know, I th- I think he was just looking to be able to come out and outspeed him because he's used to outspeeding people at light heavyweight. And with with Wardoom, the dude's a tank. I met the dude in person at Las Vegas uh, McCarran International Airport like back in 2014. The dude's a giant. His hands, like he made me look like a small child standing next <laughs> to Fabrizio. It, like super nice dude, but the, the guy's a tank. Once he gets on you with his elite skill of jujitsu, like the way he used the uh, the spider web entanglement on the on the arm, like it it was beautiful. Like with that, it's up against somebody like that who's got massive tree trunk legs. You got to look to stack them, and uh, I I just think Gustafson like it, it's hard to find somebody with that frame and that elite of a of a skill in jujitsu. And so it's, it just, uh, that's one of those things in which, you know, he got caught. It could happen to any, any person, you know, and it's just, how is he going to grow from here? Because he's still young. I I think he's, he's barely like 30 years old, like 31 or something like that. And so he's going to grow more into the heavyweight division. I, I don't think he should have ever retired in the first place, but, uh, if anything, it'll be a wake up call for him. Yeah, so it was interesting because I was watching that fight, and it, it took forever for uh, Verdum to lock in the armbar. Augustuson had some decent defense of trying to keep his ar- arm from going at full extension, and he, he fought it for a long time. And then eventually, you can only f- you can only fight that for so long when somebody has you in that traditional armbar position with their legs across your your face and your body. And they're they're pulling your arm in the opposite direction. You can only hold on for so long. So eventually he gave, but it, 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 I found it interesting because he was fighting and fighting and fighting. And as soon as his arm like broke free and started to go extended, he tapped. Like I, I think he was tapping before his arm was fully extended. Like he was like, "All right, I, I'm done. I'm I'm not going to be able to get out of it now." So right. And and uh, here's here's the thing about that that position is the fact that there's way more uh, at risk than just the arm bar. Like Wardoom had had the alma plata ready. He had, I saw him weave his his leg in for what we refer to as a bolt cutter, where you you, you slide the leg that's closest to the body in through their arm, and it actually locks around their head, and you have a triangle choke right from that position as they go to sit up, thinking they're getting out. It's like no, you just got locked in, and so I mean he has that. He was ready for. He his wrist control. He was ready for so many different submissions that. I feel like Gustafson was just kind of at a loss of where to go from there. And like you said, as soon as he started to get that, those hands separated, where Doom's hips were all the way locked into his shoulder and there, there was no getting out at that point. And so for him to tap early was way better than him getting his arm broke and having to sit out who knows how many months to recover. Right. You know, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of people who would chide that and say, hey, man, he, he seemed like a – he seemed like a punk there, tapping a little early, um, 
you know, I don't know if you saw the uh, the armbar Craig Jones had Gordon Ryan in a few years Ooh, back. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, Gordon Ryan uh, bailed out on the hitchhiker, turned his body and got out of it. But I, I don't I, I agree with you. I, I would I would rather tap than face long term damage and, uh, you know, be sitting out for a year plus rather than, you know, a couple months. Right. Yeah, yeah, especially it when it's a guy like Verdum, you're not you're not. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You're, you're not, not getting out. Get out of, yeah. <laughs> no. Nice. So the so the next fight was our AKA Legends fight, um, throwback to nostalgia, Pride days. Uh, you had Mauricio Shogun Rua or Shogun Hua versus uh, Rogero uh, Naguero or Little Nog, as uh, those from Pride like to call them. Uh, Pride days. Uh, they fought for the third time. They had their trilogy, and. Uh, Shogun Hua won for the third time. He's won all three fights. He won by split decision. It was basically, it was similar to the first two fights. Basically, they they knocked each other around a little bit. They wrestled a little bit. And I think, I think uh, Little Nog didn't do as well this time as he did in the previous fights. But it was still very close. Like all three of them were extremely close. These, uh, so I actually liked this fight. Little Nog retired after the fight. Shogun Hua is going to continue on. I don't know how much more he has to give, um, but they fought 15 years ago. And then today, uh, this, this weekend, was their, their third and final fight um, against each other. What did you guys think about this one? Admit, admittedly, I didn't get to see this one all the way through. I was watching the kids. So I was kind of in and out. But, um, you know, what I did see, it was a lot of uh, nonstop back and forth action. It looked like uh, both guys were hurt on numerous occasions. And, uh, you know, there was, there was some wrestling in there. I think I saw uh two two or three takedowns mm-hmm. and um yeah yeah so it was a good match i'm glad the judges didn't didn't uh get crazy with it and and they gave it a 29 28 across the board bro this fight a, a part of what impressed me so much is partly to what you said joe their their last fight was 15 years ago and yeah. these guys came out fighting like they were still in their 20s bro oh yeah right. like there was most times like as they get older they start to take a little bit more regard in in the 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 clinch in those dogfight positions of like hey i got a you know self preservation no they threw that to the wind there were moments in which they were slugging it out like man it it, it made me feel like i was watching a pride event all over again oh, yeah. <laughs> like leading up to this fight i i have some uh pride grand prix dvds and like all these oh, like yeah. greatest hits throwbacks and so i went through those and watching like old wanderlei silva and, you know obviously shogun Hua and uh nogera like and so i i've i felt like this fight had the biggest potential of being a, a letdown and i was i couldn't be even more wrong than ever like these guys brought it like a hundred percent they showed you what it meant to be uh, uh, old school veteran of the sport. Oh yeah, Naguera is forty four. I think he was uh, going into yeah. this fight. So I mean, that's just impressive. Him going at it at forty four. You could tell how badly he wanted this fight to get one out of the trilogy. Unfortunately, uh, Hua just uh, 
was able to edge him out yet again. And it was good. Like, like James said, they both rocked each other a couple times. They both, uh, I think the difference was that Hua was able to secure a few more takedowns in that third and final round. He was able to get a takedown towards the end and basically finish on top. And uh, like Dario, you said before, like it's what you have you done for me lately. That might've swayed the judges in that last round. Like, all right, you know, who, who got that last round. So we're going to give him the fight. And what I what I found interesting about this matchup is that it it was reminiscent of the the main event. We're looking at Nogira, who he I mean he's definitely got way better ground game than Darren Till, but oh, yeah. as far as the striking <laughs> right. aspect, he's got a really heavy left hand. He's one of those tricky southpaws that uh, he's hell for anybody, you know, uh, just because of that left hand. Whereas uh, Shogun, he was tactical, and a lot of people fail to realize Nogueira's had multiple knee surgeries. Like he's had his legs torn up in the past, and mm-hmm. so uh, Shogun did a good job of landing in those inside leg kicks to that front leg, and it paid dividends in that last round, and was a huge reason why he landed those those last couple of takedowns that really won him the round. Because up until then, I I was looking at it like, man, how do I score this? Yeah. I had it dead even going into the third round and even throughout the third round i was like i don't know who i give this round to no <laughs> yeah know? no it, yeah it was, it was that close to a fight definitely but uh having the the wider range of tools definitely made the difference it was a classic for the ages for sure absolutely so let's move on let's get into the main event uh that was robert whitaker versus darren till and me and Jamie went back and forth on this one at when it happened. We were, we were going back and forth on what we thought. And it, Robert Whitaker took to home the unanimous decision. Um, I personally had it till. I thought till should have won. I thought uh, it, was, it was extremely close. But I can't argue with the Whitaker. I don't think it was like this insane decision like, what are you doing? Like it was, I think it was very close. Uh, but I personally gave the slight edge to Till, but I'm not upset that Whitaker won. Um, what did you guys think about this one? Yeah, it was interesting stylistically to me because I thought they were very, very similar. And I think everyone was kind of in agreement that this would be a, a very technical fight. The, the biggest thing for me, and I just, the misgivings I have about Till is he just, he seems so trigger shy. Like, as, I, as I'm watching this fight, I see Whitaker, you know, putting his head down and throwing bombs, like, with his entire body, missing a great deal of them. But he, he, was, he was throwing these ridiculous from-hell haymakers. And you just see Till kind of backing up, you know, backing up, moving in and out, a little jab here. You know, it, it, just, it just did not seem like he was fully committed to letting the hands go. And um, I just think from the judge's perspective, again, and then in the fifth round, I think Whitaker, uh, I think he finished with a takedown, right? He finished um, – uh, getting a takedown at the end. And I, I think that probably swayed the judges there as well. I just, I don't know. As I watched it, I just said, okay, you know, I don't think Till is in control of this fight. I don't think he's advancing forward too much. And so I think, uh, I think Whitaker looks like he's controlling this fight more, more so than vice versa. Terry, what do you think? For me, a hundred percent to what both Till and Whitaker stated afterward, it was a freaking chess match. And mm-hmm. I think all things considering anybody who says that Till just has a left hand has to eat their words on that because of the fact that Whitaker is no slouch and he's demonstrated finishes from all angles. 
I feel that is what won him the fight. I mean, granted, he, I mean, the, the wrestling was definitely a factor in that as well. But uh, Till was trying to throw a lot of single punches, whereas Whitaker was, his haymakers were being set up with two or three shots before. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always throwing punches and bunches. And that volume really, uh, not only does it uh, pique the judge's interest, but it also gives a, a different level of pressure in that environment because of the fact that you see this other guy's coming in at you with all, a hellacious amount of shots. And you're realizing that, oh, it only feels like I'm able to throw one and I'm missing by a mile. Okay, I need a... I need to reformulate how I'm going in and trying to set up that timing because Whitaker, uh, Till's got a, a great sense of range and distance and uh, how, how he sets everything up. But uh, part of Whitaker's tactics leading up is he was really doing a good job of attacking that lead leg oh, of yeah. Darren Till, which a lot of people don't really don't look to pepper too much because of how stout of a, uh, of a dude he is he's got really thick legs but he's pretty hardened up whenever it comes to physical pain so he's got a pretty good poker face and i mean this fight definitely improved it he got his knee blown out and i think it was the second or third round yeah and yeah. whitaker was none the wiser i was none the wiser i i i thought it was a little strange that uh till wasn't really looking to uh to uh he does a lot of times he'll do those little hops but he'll do a uh, hop faint and then skip to throw in his combinations and there was no skip at the end of it uh, i wasn't sure if it was him trying to be uh cautious and expecting whitaker to blitz in and look for that takedown or if it was possibly due to the leg kicks but i i just feel like uh um this goes to show that not only uh till is a lot more uh, well-rounded than we've seen, but also Whitaker is still not out of the title picture. Like that, what a story that would be if he climbs back up to uh, title contention and has a rematch with Adesanya. You know, it, it's it's something that could uh, really build up quite a quite a, a bit of following. Oh yeah, so well, Adesanya might not even have the belt, so we got to see. You yeah. think Costa's going to take it from him? <laughs> we'll see. Costa's an interesting matchup, but we'll get into that when that get, that goes. I, I agree with Whitaker still being in the title contingent. Obviously, he's right there. Um, a lot of people don't didn't realize that like he got injured and he yeah. had like he almost died. I think they said they said he when he pulled out of a fight last minute um, when he was a champion, the doctor actually told him like, "Hey, if you would have fought, you could have you." you could have died in the, in the cage because he had a serious issue. And then he took like a year, a year and a half off to recover. And then he fought Adesanya for the title and he lost. So like he was coming off of like a year, a year and a half absence when he fought Adesanya. So it'll be interesting him working his way back up to see if he could uh, get that rematch with Adesanya. But with mm-hmm. Till, Jamie, what you were saying is he seemed hesitant. It could have been the late kicks, but honestly, it, it, in his last two fights, he's looked very hesitant ever since he got knocked out by Masvidal. And I've said this for you, he was beating Masvidal. He was winning that fight, and then he got caught and knocked out Colt. He got hit hard. And um, ever since then, he has been extremely hesitant, like he's scared to get caught again in that situation. And uh, it's affecting his fights. Yeah, that's interesting. And I agree with you. He was beating Masvidal, and he, he just got caught, man. It happens. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I can't really. I got to go back and watch the fight to be honest. It, it also could have been the injury, as as Dario kind of uh, hinted at. But yeah, he just he didn't he did not seem like what I remember Till being, you know. So, right, and I mean, uh, much much to Whitaker's credit, uh, Whitaker does a really good job of establishing his distance because he is very uh, familiar with the jab. Uh, uh, recent studies have shown that the jab is actually the number one most used punch uh, strike. I take that back. Strike period in all of MMA is the jab. And uh, with that, it, it sets up your rhythm. It sets up uh, your overall timing, your distancing. And it's a constant defense. Like just flicking a jab out, you can get a response out of that. And so I feel like Whitaker was very smart in knowing that Till was looking to counterpunch. And there were a lot of times in which Till, whenever he seemed hesitant, he was wasting energy because like he would do the, these freeze steps and his whole body would lock up. You would see him physically clinch up at like over arm's reach away from uh, Whitaker and Whitaker's just staying loose, just bouncing back and forth. So I think the mind games on top of just the elusiveness and his ability to cover so much distance at, at a whim. I mean, a lot of people don't give Whitaker enough credit. Whitaker is one of my all time favorite middleweight champs that there's been. Mm -hmm. um, I really wanted to see him versus George St. Pierre. That uh -huh. would have been an awesome fight. I think, uh, I think, uh, GSP would have definitely took it to him as far as the wrestling goes, but just to see because they both cover distance in their own way and have their own strategies, it would have been interesting. But uh, uh, I, I was just super impressed with this fight. Uh, I didn't think uh, the the judging went in the wrong way. I I don't think this is the end of Till. Um, what I would like to see more from Till is uh, possibly switching stances everybody's used to him being a righty forward. If he could switch it up, I think it would help him uh, set up some looks a little bit differently. And I think he was just a little too linear. He was always straight forward or straight out of the pocket. Uh, he wasn't really looking to cut off angles, whereas uh, Whitaker would, you know, he would charge forward and then step off to the right and look to throw in combinations from there. He was just all over the place, but uh, uh I'm interested to see how, how Till grows and adjusts from here. Definitely. Definitely. So that was the breakdown of the UFC fight night that just happened this past weekend for just looking forward to the next uh, fight night, Brunson versus Shabazian uh, coming up this weekend on uh, August 1st. I think it is. Uh, let's just pick out each of us, pick out a fight that we we're interested in. We want to see just to highlight real quick. We we don't have time to go through everything, but just uh, real quick, uh, Jamie, what, what, what fight did you want to highlight in this, uh, in this, this card? Yeah, I think uh, Vincenti Luque, is how you say his name? Luque? Yeah. Okay. And Randy Brown is going to be a, a good fight. I think uh, Vincenti, he, he was dominant. He was on a six-fight win streak before he fought uh, the Wonder Boy. And, uh, you know, he lost a unanimous decision. But I think he's uh, – uh, he just stopped Nico Peer, uh, Price. And I think mm -hmm. – uh, yeah, I think he's, he's a – he's certainly a, a, a contender. And I, I think he's an exciting fighter. And uh, Brown is no slouch himself. He's uh, – I think he's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty slick. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a very good fight. It was supposed to actually happen uh, earlier in the year, and it got canceled because of COVID. And so I think this is something to watch. I got Vincent T getting the W, but um, I think it'll be a good fight, and I can see it going either way. 
What about Dar- what about you, Dario? You got any fights you want to highlight on this one? Anytime Lando Venata is on a card, I am there. I am down <laughs> with Groovy, bro. Groovy, like, man. Just his, his flow state is the epitome of Bruce Lee's philosophy of what true fighting is. You know, just like from any angle, he can pull off any move you could fathom. And he does so effortlessly. It, he's it's The way that he moves, like a lot of people, you can tell when they're trying to set something up. With him, it just it just happens. He's so in the moment, and he's such a a, a a savant to what he does. You there's there's no loose ends with the guy. It's just a matter of he his downside is he tends to be so much into the fight and just the flow state of it that he falls into a rhythm in which if he, the fight goes long enough and his opponent is savvy enough, he can start to catch that. But the, the dude's just adding more and more tools to his belt, and uh, I, I think this is going to be another impressive win for him. Now, this this is actually a, a, a rematch. Of the, they fought in two thousand. They fought to a draw in two thousand seventeen. Yeah. So it, sh- it should be a, it should be a good fight and interesting. I, I, I'm actually looking forward to this one as well. So the fight that I'm looking forward to, and that is the main event actually. Uh, between Derek Brunson and Edmund Shabazian. And uh, I know it's kind of a, a cop-out to pick the main event as to highlight, but... Um, I could hey, actually... it's main event for a reason, bro. No, yeah, I like this <laughs> because Shabazian is an, uh, an undefeated up-and-coming fighter. Um, and, like, he's got 11 fights. He's got eight of them by knockout. And all eight of them, all eight of those knockouts are in the first round. So like no this this guy's got <laughs> this guy's got dynamite in his hands, you know, and he's a knockout artist, so it's gonna be like and Derek Brunson is another heavy hitter. This is mm-hmm. I, I don't expect I would not be surprised if this ends in the first round with one of these guys going out. And Derek Brunson is the so called gatekeeper of that of that uh of the division. So right. I think that it's a good test for uh Shibazian to kind of say, okay you know, and do I belong in this division or not? Because if you beat, if you beat Brunson, you can move up in the ranks. If not, then in the middleweight ranks, if not, then you're, you're probably not going to go too far unless you can come back out and, uh, um, re, re, rebuild yourself. But, uh, Brunson's number eight ranked and, uh, Sabajian is number nine ranked. So they're right there. It's a good matchup. Nine, eight versus nine. And it's a great test for Shabazian, and I'm looking forward to it because I think that this fight is going to be dynamite. One of these guys is going to sleep. I guarantee it, man. Yeah, definitely. It's either going to be that or somebody's going to get wrestled to death. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's yeah. the only way I see this leaving the first round is if uh, Brunson looks to turn it into a wrestling match because he's, he's pretty savvy whenever it comes to the clinch. But uh, Shabazian's takedown defense is pretty high, so uh, I, I think this fight is either going to take place in the center or we're going to see a lot of clinch work off the cage that could end in a KO. But definitely main event for a reason. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely looking forward to it this weekend. So that's all we have for the show. Uh, just real quick before um, we go, Dario, you want to get about your social media handle so the, the new fans can follow you and get um, some great intel that you can provide? Most definitely. Um, I'm mostly active on Instagram with anything. You can follow me at Dario Dude all together. 
and uh yeah just staying busy i got uh we're looking at joining in on a arizona combate coming up in september and getting ready for adcc trials in november so if you want to catch up on all the updates any potential fights coming up be sure to follow me on instagram are you going to be fighting in the adcc trials hell yeah boy it's gonna be oh, in california nice. if we're going out there we got a group of people getting ready for that i mean i'll see you out there man most definitely and uh jamin what is your social media handles for people to follow you uh, I have an Instagram, but mostly on on Twitter. You could just look me up, uh, Lightning Rain eighty nine, uh, Jamin Allen, or on Facebook, Jamin Allen. Um, yeah, I, I'm also on Instagram, but I just post beer pictures, to be honest. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and me, Massey. I'm on Instagram, Twitter at the J A Massey. Uh, you can also find the podcast. We have podcasts now on Instagram, Twitter. It's just at Sweatbox Pod, and. Uh, just give us a follow. We're going to be posting some good information, um, questions, fight information, everything like that. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be letting you know when uh, uh, Dario and Jamin roll around in some competitions and uh, how, how to follow the, their careers as well as they, they ascend. So, gentlemen, that's it for the show, man. Say goodnight to the fans. Hey, thank take you. It, Much plus. Yep. Thank you, guys. Take care. We're out. Thank you.